All right, we're in Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from her country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And then he said, I will, re I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. The widow of the dead is, or, is in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in, in, in his inheritance. Then the redeemers said, uh, yeah, actually, I can't redeem that. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption my, yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this is the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are, you are witnesses this day <clears throat> that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and for, from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman whom who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore into Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood came and gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab, and Amminadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The very words of God. Amen. Amen. All right. You just heard the word of God read in, in chapter four of Ruth. I hope this series has been good for you. Has it been good? You guys have been enjoying what God is doing in, in the book of Ruth? 
Yeah, it's been an awesome time for me. So today we're going to preach on the topic of where is your hope? Everybody say, where's your hope? Now turn to your neighbor and say, where's your hope? Where is your hope? Amen. Let's pray before we get into the text this morning. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. God, we ask that you would fill this place with your spirit. And Lord, that you would speak through me, that it would not be me speaking, but it be you. May you be lifted up in this place. Hide me behind your cross, as the old preachers used to say, so that you would have your way in this place. God, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen. Can you turn that on? Well, as you just saw, one of my daughters, God has blessed me with four of them. Four daughters. And every Friday night at the Puckett House is family night. It's family night, so we get pizza and then we watch a movie, which pretty much ends up with me watching some girly Disney movie. So, y'all, I've seen them all. I've seen all the movies. I know the lines and all of that. I've seen all the movies. The one movie that we've watched, and, and I watched this growing up, was this movie called Snow White. Y'all seen that movie before? Don't be shy. I know y'all seen Snow White. You know Snow White. You, you know a little bit about her, right? She hair was black as ebony. Y'all remember Snow White? Lips said to be as red as a rose, skin as white as snow. She was said to be the fairest in the land. Fairest in the land, which made her stepmother, the queen, mad all the time because she wanted to be the fairest in the land. So long story short, what happens is stepmom dresses up or becomes this little old wicked witch. She comes around and this old woman and, and she gives her this poisonous apple. She tempts her with this poisoned apple and Snow White takes a bite of the apple. She falls into a, a deep coma. Seven dwarves come around. They find her falling into this coma. So what they do is thinking that she's dead, they place her in a coffin. She's dead and she's gone. Some time passes, and then comes along this prince, y'all, if, if it only worked this way. The prince comes along, he sees her lying in the coffin, and he falls in love, head over heels, if it only worked this way, falls in love with her, and then he sees her, he kisses her in the coffin, and she comes back to life, and then he marries her. Friends, hear me, she went from a dead nobody with nothing to offer to a queen, all because a prince came along, loved her, he kissed her, and she came back to life. And see, here's the thing that we cannot miss. This is what I want y'all to pay attention to. We that call ourselves believers in here today have to understand that just like Snow White, we have went from dead nobodies to being brought back to life, redeemed, and given a new hope through Jesus' death. It's Snow White. See, the thing about it, though, is that, don't, don't miss this, that if it's the, even if, if it's the prince in the movie Snow White or if it's King Jesus himself, both of them, neither one of them had to do anything for the other person. But they chose to out of love. Now, don't miss what I'm saying here. This is what I don't want you to miss. Here, here it is. Hear me. In order for true redemption to take place, there's a cost. There's a cost, but only for the person redeeming. Let me say this again. In order for true redemption to take place, there is a cost, but only for the person redeeming. 
And today we're going to see in our text, as we've seen throughout the last few weeks, we're going to look at Ruth with this, this young lady that we've seen throughout the, the last few weeks has, has worked alongside her mother-in-law. She served her relentless to help provide for her. She has nothing to offer really in this text, but receives grace from a man named Boaz who, has to, who, who doesn't have to do anything for her. Ruth, just like Snow White and us, is redeemed and given a new hope and position in, by someone who didn't have to do anything but chose to do so out of love. See, I love this biblical account. I love walking through this narrative. There's so much jam-packed in it, and I hope you've enjoyed every part of it. Because here's the thing, it really shows us what a true redeemer or how a true redeemer loves. It really shows us how, uh, how a true redeemer has grace towards someone who has nothing to offer. Family, my hope today is this, is this for us, is that this message will challenge you to show grace to those around you and also encourage you in the fact that when we believe in Jesus, the true Redeemer family, we know that he has went out of his way not only 2,000 years ago, but he's still doing it to this day for you because he loves you. So today I want to talk about three different things. Number one, if you've got a pen and paper, you can write this down. Number one, I want to talk about true redeemer always goes out of his way and has a plan. Always go out, goes out of his way and has a plan. Number two, redemption is always at the expense of the redeemer. And number three, redemption doesn't just declare us right and save us, but it gives us a new hope and position. Amen. Let's begin with a bit of review because some of you all, this may be your first week here and maybe you haven't been following along with us. But in chapter one, we're introduced to Ruth the Moabite. Ruth is a woman from a different tribe who actually married into the family of Elimelech when they traveled from Bethlehem to Moab. They go here and they marry, uh, his two sons marry uh, Ruth and Orpah. And along the way, or at the beginning, Elimelech dies, her father-in-law, then her husband, Malon, dies, and then her brother-in-law, Chilion, dies, and now she's left with Orpah and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi pushes Orpah to go back home, and Ni Ruth, and Ruth doesn't leave, but Orpah leaves. Ruth says, no, I'm going to stick and stay by your side. There is nothing that you can do or tell me that will make me leave you. She stays by her side. They have little to nothing. Right now they're empty. And, and so, so, so Naomi says, let's go back to Bethlehem. Now Ruth travels back to Bethlehem now as an immigrant in the country that she's not from. They're left empty. They have no hope. Ruth chooses to stay. And again, she says, I'm with you no matter what. I'm not leaving you. There's nothing you can say or do, Naomi, to make me leave you. And here's why this is very key to us. If you remember from week two, I told you that, that this is very key because God says the same thing to his people all throughout the Bible. It's his central covenant from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelations that he says, I will be your God and you shall be my people if you believe. He says this all the way throughout the Bible, and here's why this is key, because the circumstances of Ruth and Naomi here in this text and our circumstances from time to time may seem bleak, bleak. They, they may seem bad. They may seem like there's no hope in it, but the hope is that we keep all of our faith in God's promise. It's in his word right here. 
That's where our hope lies. It's not in the fact of, of the things that we see. It's in his promise that he says, I will be your God. You shall be my people. Chapter 2 begins, Ruth is found gleaning. Once they get back to Bethlehem, she's found gleaning in different fields around her. She laces up her bootstrap. She puts the family on her back, literally, and goes out and gets it done. <clears throat> and what happens is along the way, she runs into Boaz. She meets Boaz, and now we're introduced to this man among men right here, and she, she's gleaning from his field. He starts providing for her. He does not have to, remember that, but because he chooses to. He goes out of his way when he does not have to do anything. Now, Boaz is one of their kinsmen redeemers. He's one of the kinsmen redeemers, and what this means is that the kinsman redeemer is a person that would come along when the husband or brother, someone died in the family. He would come along, he would take all the things that, that belonged to Naomi, and he would keep it in the family in order for the name of Elimelech to live on. See, the purpose of this is that God didn't want any of his people, at least their names, to die off. He wanted them to keep going forward. So they would keep this name in the family, and it would range from this order. So if, if, it would go first from the brother to the uncle. If there wasn't an uncle around, it would go to the cousin. If it wasn't a cousin, now it's the close clan relative, they were obligated to take these women and all that they had in, including Ruth. Last week in chapter 2, or chapter 3, we saw this because because Naomi knows this fact. She understands that there's a redeemer out there, so she, you know, she gets, she says, Ruth, look girl, we got to get you right. We got to get your nice dress on. We got to get you showered up. We got to put some nice oils on. We got to get you smelling good. We got to get all that buckwheat and stuff out of your head, girl. We got to get them pits smelling real good. I know you've been working hard, but we got to get you ready to go see your Redeemer. So she gets her all dressed up, and she's pushing her to a better place. She's pushing her to her Redeemer. And we said that's what good community does for us. Good community pushes us to a place with Jesus. Good community pushes us to a better place. Friends, hear me. If you didn't hear me last week, we all need good community. This is why groups are so important. We need community. We were not made to exist on this planet or this earth by ourselves. We need community. We need people that will push us to better places, that will push us to Jesus. People that are simply less impressed with us, but more impressed with Jesus so that they push us towards Jesus. Ruth goes and understanding what Naomi said. She says she goes and she lays at the threshing floor and she uncovers Boaz's feet, signifying her dependence on him. Boaz understands this, what she's doing, but he also knows that he's not first in line to redeem her. He says, there's one that comes before me, so I cannot redeem you right now. So he sends her home with food in hand and, and, and so, so, so that Naomi knows his promise and, and his intentions. And I love what Naomi does at the end of chapter 3 because I could picture Ruth walking in all down and sad, just shoulders forward. Just, she's, she's just moping around because she walks in the door. And I, it doesn't say what she says, but I, I could understand that she, she probably said a little bit more than what the text says. Like, he didn't, he didn't do what we thought he would do. He, he didn't redeem us. She's probably feeling this way because she thought that her redeemer would, would do what, what she wanted him to do, what Naomi was looking for, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he gives her a promise. But Naomi says, look here, girl, look here, baby. I, I understand it wasn't the way you wanted it to happen. I can picture this big old smile on her face. She says, look, remember his promise. 
Remember his word. Although he didn't do it right now, remember his promise, remember his word. And see, friends, that's the same thing that we need to remember. When times start to get a little tough or things start to happen that doesn't seem like it's going the way we want it to go or, or the prayers that we prayed toward God haven't been answered in the time we thought that they should have been answered, we have to remember his promises. We have to remember his word that never fails. has been the same from the beginning to the end. He's the same God today, tomorrow, and the next day. He does not change. We have to remember his word. We've got to keep our faith in his word. Not in what's happening around us, but where his word says he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. As my mentor would tell me, he says, D, look, Jesus has been saving people for centuries. He's still in the business of saving people, so that means that he still can work in your life. Remember his word. Remember. Now, this leads us to where we are in the text today, because in verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> we get to see how Boaz truly goes out of his way to redeem Ruth and Naomi. And not only does he go out of his way, but he's planned it very carefully. Which brings us to our first point. A true redeemer always goes out of his way and has a plan. A true redeemer always goes out of his way and has a plan. These first few verses say that he went to the gate. Now, this was like a modern-day courthouse. This is the modern-day courthouse of our day, Deb. This is where he's at. He's at the gate where now all the leaders and the elders of the land would come there, and this is where legal transactions would happen. This is where decisions were made. This is the place to be if you wanted something to happen throughout the land. So he's sitting at the gate. That's where he is. And it happens that, that the Redeemer walks by. The text says, behold, he walks by. Now, we could easily focus on the providence of God and how this man walks by at the very time and place Boaz needs to see him. But let's keep with the text here. It says Boaz sits by the gate. He's sitting by the gate. Y'all, he's very intentional of how he's going after what he wants. He has a plan. Don't miss this. Word to my single men in here. Hear me when I'm saying this. Look, look, at, look, look. watch Boaz. Make sure you follow what Boaz is doing. And always, hear me, always have a plan when pursuing a woman. There's nothing worse than a passive man without a plan pursuing a woman. And all my women in here said, some of y'all missed your amen. It's okay. We'll get it next time. Boaz in the text is intentional. He's intentional with his plan. Watch this. He sits by the gate and he waits. He has the Redeemer sit down. He says, sit down. He gets 10 men, 10 elders of the land that, that are going to make the decisions, come and witness this transaction. Sit here, Boaz presents this proposal to the kinsman redeemer so eloquently. I, I, you got to love how he does this. It's almost as if he baits the redeemer in to where he cannot say no. Because when he starts talking to him, he presents the proposition to him in verses 3 to 4 as if only the land is for sale. Immediately, the guy jumps on it because it's probably easy to see that Naomi and Ruth have been struggling for some months now. He's been in the land. He's seen this happen. He knows that they're struggling. So when he, when he, when he, when he, when he gives the land, when he said, you can have the land, he's like, yeah. I mean, you, you got a picture. Ruth is probably like walking around. This is the picture you get of Ruth in her head. It's like a homeless guy pushing his cart around. That's her. She's picking up leftover grain from different fields. So it's easy to see that their relatives are struggling right now. So he, 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 he can't miss it. 
So when he says, look, the land is, you could get all of her possessions, everything that she still has, he's like, yes, I'm taking it. But then when Boaz tells him that if you buy the land, you also got to take Ruth the Moabite, he's like, nah, I'm good. He rejects the offer because now he knows that if I take Ruth the Moabite in, it's going to mess with my stuff. It's going to mess with my inheritance. It's going to mess with my, my sons and daughters I already have. Now I got to split it up more if I have another child. Where he's like, no, I'm good. My man, hear me, y'all. This is where this is so key. He's legally obligated by the law of God to take them in. He's supposed to take them in, but he only wants to do it if it's convenient or for his own benefit. Renewal, let me ask you. You know anybody like that in your life? The type of person who is only concerned with their own good? You only do things when it's for their own benefit. They're only associated with things that are going to prop them up, benefit them. Let's be honest. Can we be like that sometimes? Be honest. I, I remember hearing a story from my mentor, Brian Loritz, where he's walking down the street with his father. And he was a kid at the time, and he's walking down the street with his father, and it's, they're walking, they're just talking, have a dad's night out, and as they go down the street, they see this homeless guy sitting on the street. And Brian, as a kid, he doesn't know what to do. He just keeps walking by. But his father, Crawford, gets down on one knee with this guy. He starts emptying out his pockets and giving him everything that he has. And at the end of it, he starts praying with this man with tears rolling down his face. Then he runs to catch up with his son, Brian, and, and he kneels down in front of him, does the same thing to him. And he says, look here, son, you see that man right there? That's someone else's son. That's someone else's son. He said, don't you ever forget that. See, he's overwhelmed with compassion He's overwhelmed with love toward this man that he could not help but to figure out some way to help this guy, which causes us to ask the question, do we care for those that are less fortunate? Do we care for other people besides ourselves? See, and, and, and if we cannot care for the least fortunate or those that are the least of these, family, hear me, then it's, it's hard to call yourself a true believer. Because here's the truth. How can we follow and believe in a man where the majority of his ministry was towards the least likely? Towards those that were down and out. Towards the needy and not do it ourselves. Not be convicted about doing that ourselves. It's like I said last week. There's over 2,300 verses in the Bible. Y'all have heard me say this. Toward, of God's heart geared towards the alien, the widow, and the poor. It's simple and it's pretty easy to say that, that God cares for them. So as I said last week, I can pretty, pretty much say this very confidently that I don't really believe God is pleased with what's happening in our country towards immigrants. I don't think he's pleased with that. And I don't believe that we should be okay with it either. Our hearts should be aching, should be wanting to figure out something. How do we help those that are less fortunate than us? How do we reach out? See, here's the problem. We're still, we're kind of like this kinsman redeemer. We're, the world and everything in it has been set up and made convenient to us. Everything's geared towards what we want. 
We got Facebook, we got Snapchat, we got Twitter, we got, what else? We got Instagram, we got Chat This, all these are Tumblers, all these different things where we can set up all these little social pseudo communities around us where we never really have to interact with another person. We don't actually have to know them really intentionally, but we can read about their whole life story on Facebook. We can follow every move they make through Snapchat and Instagram, and we never really meet them in person. Because what's happening now is now our community or this pseudo community is set up to be made convenient for us. It's for our benefit. And, and what we don't really understand is it's actually destroying community or what God has actually wanted or intended for his people where we care for each other. You see, and I'm not really knocking these, these networks because I got some of them all too. I got accounts on all of them. Because they can be used to benefit each other and they can be benefiting you. But if we don't watch it, we could easily get sucked into the same self-absorbed mentality of that of the Redeemer in this text where we only do what's good for us or when it benefits us. We only get involved with it when it's for our good. See, this man in the text is supposed to be a Redeemer. But he literally only redeems when it's good for him. After he refuses in verse 6, watch this, he takes his sandal off to give to Boaz in verse 7. Now, the act of removing one's sandal, according to Deuteronomy 25, don't miss this, was done when, when the next of kin refused the brother's wife. This was a very disgraceful and disrespectful act. Basically, he says, y'all worth nothing. Don't want y'all, and, 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 and Naomi, because of this, could have literally spit in this man's face because of how disrespectful this is. Again, he's legally obligated to do this. He's legal, legally obligated to bring them in, which is why this transaction has to happen in front of the elders of the land. This is a legal transaction. But Ruth and Naomi, they're not worth it to him. They're not worth it to him. But Boaz, on the other hand, he goes out of his way with a plan to redeem both of them. He's a man among men. He's not legally obligated to do anything for them, especially after this guy already passed them up. He doesn't have to bring them in. Hear me. Boaz, don't, don't miss this, he didn't have to feed them throughout the last three months. He, he didn't have to go to the gate with this plan and the proposal. He didn't have to confront and present this proposition to the man at all. He, he could have just let them be. He could have let the Redeemer take the land and not told him anything about Ruth at the Moabite. He could have just let it go. Boaz has an overwhelming compassion and love for Ruth and Naomi that cannot be denied here in this text. He went out of the way to look out for someone who he could gain nothing in return from, which leads to the second point. Redemption is always at the expense of the Redeemer and not the redeemed. This means that it had a cost. There's a cost associated with redemption. Boaz unlike the other men, men already knew that by buying the land, he's going to have to take Ruth the Moabite, a woman of a different tribe who served at one point a different God. See, both women, hear me, can gain a whole new life from Boaz, but Boaz can gain nothing from them that he couldn't get elsewhere. 
He's a true redeemer who did not waste time in redeeming Ruth and Naomi. This, again, is a legal transaction that was a once-and-for-all deal. This was a one-stop shop. Once this happens, it's over. He publicly redeemed Ruth and Naomi, making Ruth his wife. Do not miss this. They were once downcast and unwanted by anyone, even their next to kin. These two widows were worth nothing to others, but Boaz saw worth in them that nobody else did. Hear me, family. Ruth was not at all impressive. She wasn't important. She wasn't really looked up to by anyone. She doesn't probably really look good right now. Ruth had to cling to the worthy man of Boaz and hope for a better life. And friends, here's what we cannot miss. We, just like Ruth, were once, if not still, unworthy, downcast, dead in our sin, unimpressive, with nothing to offer. But there was a man named Jesus who steps out of heaven, comes down here knowing this, and does the same thing for us that Boaz did for Ruth. Some of y'all missed your amen, so follow me with this. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, it reads this way. Look at it with me. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This text tells us that we have a Redeemer who, noticing our situation, being dead in our sin, leaves his place on high when he does not have to. See, God could have just wiped us all out really easy, said, I'm done with y'all, but he does not do that. Instead, we have a Savior who steps out of heaven, has compassion towards us, and comes down. It says that he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, I'm not sure I would have done that, y'all. If I'm Jesus, there's no way I'm doing it. I'm probably telling my main man Gabriel or my other angel friend Michael, look, y'all better go take care of this. I don't have time for this foolishness. I'm done with these folks. But I'm thankful that we don't have a God that's like me, but instead our Savior steps out of heaven. He's mindful of us as Philippians 2 just told us, and, and, and that he empties himself. He empties himself by not only becoming human, but then it says as a servant or a slave to that stature. See, Jesus came to serve sinful human beings who were enemies of God, just like the Moabites in this text were enemies of the Israelites. He served the people who had nothing to offer, and he also hung out with them. His disciples were some of the lowest men in society. You got tax collectors and fishermen, people that, that folks didn't hang out with. They didn't like them. Jesus came down, wrapped himself in flesh in the likeness of humans, and, and, and had relationships with us. He got to know us. He sympathized with our sufferings, our pains, our sorrows. He became woven among these pe us people as like, like a nice piece of tapestry. I, 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 I've walked y'all through this, some of y'all before. If you ever looked at a nice piece of tapestry before, all the, the yarn in it, the, the thread going over and under, all over the place. And, and what happens, it comes out to this beautiful tapestry made up of, of many different colors. See, Jesus had to do the same thing. He came down and became woven among us people like a nice piece of tapestry. He, he, he was that hidden thread that wove through the people because he wanted to adequately understand what it's like for us to go through the, our pains, our trials, all the temptations we go through. Jesus became like us, family, and he sympathized with our suffering. 
things. But Philippians 2 tells us that it didn't stop there. Y'all need to keep going with me. He then counts the cost of redemption and hangs on a cross for you and me for the wrongdoings that we committed, not his wrongdoings. He suffered death on a cross, not for his good, but for our good. You see, someone had to take the wrath of God and pay the sin debt to save us, to redeem us. And Jesus was the only one that could do it because he was a sinless, unblemished lamb that was sent by God to take away the sins of the world. Y'all, he really, he willingly gets rejected by God when he takes our sin on the cross. He became an enemy at his own expense. It's like I said before, don't miss it, family. True redemption comes at the cost of the redeemer, not the redeemed. This was a once and for all deal, just like Boaz and Ruth. When Christ died, y'all, it was for the past, present, and the future sins. See, a legal transaction occurred right here, according to Romans 5.1. It says this word, it says these words, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, do not miss those words. We've been justified. See, friends, hear me. We're no longer enemies of God if we place our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. We're justified or declared legally right in God's sight. You know what that means? That means that when God looks down at you, he's not looking at your mess. He's not looking at where you've been and what you've done in the past or what you're going to do in the future, but he's looking down if you believe and he's looking at his son on the cross and saying, well done. Well done. You're covered by Jesus if you believe. One of my favorite verses, John 10, 28, it says this, is I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. So once and for all thing, you're with him when you believe. We will live forever with Jesus if we believe. See, this should leave us in a state of awe and thankfulness because just like Ruth, y'all, we've been redeemed by someone who, had, who didn't have to do anything for us but chose to out of love. I love John the Baptist. He says that this Redeemer, Jesus, we're not even worthy of carrying his sandal, but yet he chooses to love us. What a great feeling it is to know that we have a true Redeemer who expects nothing in return from us but wants us as we are and has redeemed us out of love and compassion. So, folks, I have to ask you, have you experienced that love and compassion that Jesus offers you? Have you truly believed and placed your faith in him? You truly understand that he wants a relationship with you. He wants you with him. Or better yet, maybe you have experienced that love and compassion. But the question now becomes, are you being like Boaz and sharing that love and compassion with other people? And see, here's the thing we must not miss. Because not only is God able to redeem the roots of society who are faithful, hardworking, maybe just had a hard go at life, because there's someone in here that's saying, they're feeling like, I'm not a Ruth. I'm surely not Boaz. I've, had, I've flat out just messed up my life. 
I'm messy, I'm a liar, I'm, I'm a cheater, I've done people wrong, I'm a selfish person. And you just walk around with this woe is me type of attitude and you're looking at God like, why would he want anything to do with me? I'm so far out of reach, he, 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 can't, he doesn't want me. Well, hear me, follow me with this one because most of us don't know who Boaz's mother is. His mother is Rahab, the prostitute from Joshua 2. For lack of better words, I don't think y'all picked it up. His mother was a whore. Y'all heard that one, right? And you know what? You turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Look who's in the genealogy of Jesus. Rahab, the prostitute. And here I, I'm coming to tell you this morning because maybe you're not getting what I'm saying. Look, if Jesus can save a prostitute and put him, if God can save this prostitute and work in her life and put it in the lineage of Jesus, y'all, he can still work and save you too. Some of y'all still didn't get that, so let me, let me give you another fun fact of the text, okay? Follow me with this because I know that may not have been enough. Y'all like, okay, I got Rahab, Pastor D. What else? Okay, here's another fun fact. The Moabites are descendants of Lot. That's Abraham's nephew. This is why this is key. Maybe my Bible thumpers picked it up. Maybe you didn't. Chapter 19 of Genesis, if you look at it, Lot and, and his two daughters are left alone. They, they can't have babies. So what do they do? They get their father drunk. They put him in a tent. And then they go sleep with their father. Then out pops Moab, the father of the Moabites, and, and Ben-Ami, the father of the Ammonites, two of Israel's worst enemies. But, but here's what you can't miss. You got Ruth in the text who's a Moabite because you might have missed it. She's a descendant of basically a daughter raping her father, getting saved. And guess what? Her name is in the lineage of Jesus too. See, don't miss this family. What I'm trying to tell you is that if God can save people out of these messed up situations, then he can save you too. There ain't no mess that's too much for God. You are not too messy for him. Amen. This all brings us to our last point, which you're going to see in verses 11 through 12, is that redemption doesn't just declare us right. It doesn't just save us, but redemption gives us a new hope and a new position. Boaz has just declared that Ruth will be his wife in front of all these Witnesses, don't forget this, all the witnesses. And the name of Elimelech will not be cut off from his brothers and his native place. Family, don't miss this. The results of redemption, y'all, they're remarkable here in this text. They're remarkable. The text shows us in verse 11 that there are witnesses speaking blessings over Ruth and Boaz. I love this. Ruth was a woman that was barren. She was with a husband for 10 years. She couldn't have a child. And, and the people say, may the Lord bless you like a mother, like he did with Rachel and Leah. What y'all might not know is that Rachel was also barren, but God blesses her and opens up her womb to have children. Leah was actually the mother of Judah, who is an ancestor of Boaz and Naomi. They, they say, may you act worthily in Ephrathah. This is all key, which means fertility. And also in Bethlehem, where if you keep on reading in chapter 4, you see that Ruth does give a, a birth to a son named Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's the father of King David. So now the line of David is coming through Ruth, y'all. And David will be the pride of both of those cities, Bethlehem and Ephrathah. 
They go on to say, because that's not all they say, they go on to say, may your offspring be like the house of Perez who came through Tamar. Tamar was a woman similar to Ruth, where her first husband died and his brother was supposed to take over, but he didn't want to, so lack of better, he dies too. Then the, the father says, well, I'll give you my a younger son when he grows up. But when he grows up, he's like, no, I'm not giving you another son because I don't want to lose him too. So what happens through a lack of, uh, I can't tell y'all everything that's going on in these circumstances. I'm not going to give you all the details. So what really happens is, is Tamar's like, all right, cool. You ain't going to give me another, uh, another man? Cool. All right, I'm going to dress like this. You don't know who I am. I'm going to take you in a tent and I'm going to have a baby by you, my father-in-law, Judah. So she has a, fa- a, a son by him named Perez and he will be part of the line that Jesus comes through. Now, family, I don't know if y'all know this in everything that I'm walking through, but I'm really trying to tell you the Bible has some Jerry Springer type of stuff going on in it. I mean, it's rated R. It's some stuff in there that you're like, whoa, what, what just happened here? Did I read that correctly? But don't miss this. Isn't it amazing how God can redeem a situation that seems like it's the last thing on earth that should be touched? Isn't that amazing? I mean, what's the point? And everything I'm saying, y'all, y'all, y'all hear me when I say it's redemption gives us a new hope and position. Jesus' death presents us with a new hope and position in Christ being redeemed sons and daughters of God. Hebrews 12 tells us, this is why I wanted y'all to remember that whole witness thing. It tells us that just like Ruth and Boaz, where they got people speaking blessings over them, it says that there was a, a great cloud of witnesses that surround us, that has, have, have had the same faith, that have went before us, that have encouraged us, that are pushing us towards Jesus. So we don't even have to go through the mess that they went through. They're like, this is what I went through. Keep the faith. Keep going. It's a host of witnesses pushing you. So the question we have to end with this morning is where are you truly placing your hope? Where are you placing your hope? What have you clung on to that you shouldn't have? I told you weeks ago Ruth's name actually means to cling. And in this text, she clings to her Redeemer. Her one and only true hope for a better life And Boaz is just a type of redeemer who points us to what Jesus did on Calvary a little later. So family, again, where's your hope this morning? Where's your hope? Hear me, placing your hope and your faith in Jesus will literally change your life. Placing your hope and your faith, everything you have in Jesus will change your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. We thank you for your love. Lord, I just ask that you would cover us, God, and that we would continually be a people that would trust you and put our faith in you. And God, if we haven't done that this morning, Lord, I pray that we would know that there's no mess that's too big for you, Jesus. That you're still a God that's in the business of saving and you still want your creation back. 
So, Father, I pray if there's someone here that does not know you, that they would say, Jesus, I need you. Take your rightful place on the throne of my life. I repent. And I pray that, God, they would turn the other way and run quickly after you, turn from whatever it is they place their hope in, whether it's their own lives or their jobs, their houses. Lord, I pray that they would turn the other way and say, I need you. So, Father, as we enter this time of communion, we've already placed our faith in you. I pray that this be a time where we just be able to just turn to you and say, God, my hope, my faith is in you. And that we will remember what you did for us on the cross. We thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in your mighty name. And everyone said together, amen.